Western Reaches, which is a new podcast in the Toshi Station Network, which is with me, Saf, and Megan. Hello! Um, we're reviving Woman of Enthusiasm under a new name, Western Reaches, which was an old Toshi Station podcast um, with Bria and Emily, I think. Um, and so thank you to Toshi Station for giving us this opportunity. We're going to talk about some pretty cool nerd things. What are we going to talk about, Megan? We're going to talk about whatever we want to talk about. Um, <laughs> so... Actually, that's part of the goal for this. We're going to talk about what books we're reading, what video games we're playing, what go- what's going on with Star Wars in our lives right now. Today, we're going to kick it off starting uh, talking about Halo 5 and its surrounding media. Um, we have some cool Halo news, and that's kind of the vein that we plan to, to go in. Um, also, thank you to Tashi Station for giving us a venue uh, I liked Women of On Enthusiasms a lot. We want to sort of do the same very conversational, very, um, uh, how do I say it? Just very full of personality. As as you can see, my personality is not knowing how to say things. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mine too. So it's going well so far. Um, but it's going to be sort of whatever geeky things we're doing in uh, in our lives. Yeah, so it's pretty exciting. We've both moved over here from um, Forcecast, which has recently changed ownership and also podcast people. So it's cool that we've gotten a new platform to talk on because we like talking about things, especially Star Wars things um, and other nerdy things, as you can probably tell. We do, and we had a great time with the Forcecast. We uh, there were some sort of unexpected changes there, but we're all we're all good with them. And if you want to hear our voices. You can hear us here. Um, you can hear us at various other projects, some of which, you know, some of which are ongoing right now, and some of which are not. Um, so, Saf, do we want to go over that real quick? Maybe for people that don't know us or listen to Tashi Station and not our stuff, who who are you? What do you do? Where can people find you? Which is usually <laughs> okay. what we do at the end. So that got kind of weird there for a second but it, it makes sense to do it at the start i think yeah um i'm saf i have been a star wars person in the community for like the last two years maybe now i'm not really sure but um i write for the wiki gunner i write for toshi station here i also podcast for toshi station um with of dice and droids which is with the fantasy flight games i can't remember, age of rebellion i think um and so it's all us doing live tabletop stuff over podcast form. Um, I also podcast at Making Star Wars' Analysis Podcasting and also Far Far Away Radio's Rogue Podron, where we read the Rogue Squadron books and then we talk about them kind of like a book club. Um, and I also write for my own blog, which is Not Set for Work. I think that's everything I do. What about you, Megan? What do you do? <laughs> I don't do nearly as much audio stuff, but I you can find me writing things. Um, I write for Den of Geek. Um, I write the Delray Star Wars Holonet update every week on Tumblr. I write um, for blogfullofwords.blogspot.com sometimes. Just recently, I had my first interview out in Star Wars Insider, which was super exciting and new. So I'm hoping to write for them a little bit more as we go forward, but mostly you can find me at Den of Geek. Um, I think that's everything. The Star Wars Insider thing is pretty cool. Who was the interview with? It was with Alex Freed, who wrote Battlefront Twilight Company, and oh, awesome. he is brilliant. I sent him my, my questions, and I was very afraid that they were not 
they were not good questions and that I was just very nervous. And he sent me back this beautiful, like, like, I can't even, writing for Star Wars is like writing in, you know, you're all around the campfire doing the same the same uh, story, telling the same story, but in a much better, less cliche way than that. And um, you should read the interview for him, not for me. <laughs> I'm sure you were great. Interviews are so scary. I hate doing them so much. I've I've done so many of them that I'm getting used to them, but with writing for somebody that I hadn't worked with before and writing for something that I love, Twilight Company, like it was one of my favorite books that came out in the in the new EU recently, so it meant a lot to me to be able to talk about that one. Yeah, I really, I love Twilight Company as well. It's probably one of my, like, favorite books, not just a favorite Star Wars book, which is saying a lot, because not many Star Wars books managed to do that for me. Um, so yeah, that's really cool you got to talk to him. Thanks, thanks, yeah, it was, uh, it was really good. I'm glad I got the opportunity to do that. Speaking of books. Yes! What are we reading this week? <laughs> so this is going to be one of our regular segments what are we reading and this could be anything from star wars books to other franchises to i don't know car manuals probably mostly science fiction (laughs) probably won't be mini car manuals for me i mean maybe maybe one day one day probably not for me either really um i am i'm reading the right stuff which is, you know, the, the chronicles, the early uh, beginning of the American space program, which is rare. I don't read a lot of nonfiction, but when I, I'm trying to read more about the space program because it's interesting, um, that is sort of the, like, everyone says if you want to read about NASA, start there. Um, really good, really flourishy in a way that takes some time uh, to get used to and very very dated right now, but definitely enjoying it. This sounds really cool. I've been kind of wanting to get into reading more about that stuff because I love space, but I don't know anything about space. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> I don't know anything about NASA or anything except that it exists and we sometimes send things up. So would you recommend it? How far through are you? I'm about halfway through. I would recommend it. Um, if only because you're probably going to want to talk about it if you want to talk to people about space. It's very much of its time, which means that there's a very stark distinction between the astronauts and their sort of manly pursuits and the astronauts' wives and their less manly pursuits. But that was how it is, and that's just sort of understood. Um, the Another book I would recommend is Leaving Orbit, which is about this shuttle program and written by a female journalist with full knowledge of the sort of weight of male journalism about space behind her, Um, which I read. I read first and and really liked. That sounds pretty amazing, actually. (laughs) Mine, I'm I'm reading something far less, far less um, non-fictional. I was in the library a couple of days ago, um, dropping off a book. I think I was dropping off like one of the Hunger Games books or something, as per usual. And I was telling myself as I went in, I was like, "Saf, no more books because you have too many books to read at the moment." But as I was leaving, there's like a shelf on in the library that has like I don't know what it is. It's not like a recommended shelf or anything. It just has random books placed on it. And 
generally I look at it and there's nothing I care about. But this time, like, this one book caught my eye because I had, like, this robot lady on the cover or something. I was like, I like robot ladies. So I picked it up and it looked like this cool science fiction space opera about artificial intelligence or robots. And I was like, that sounds like my jam. So I picked it up. Have never heard of it before. It's called Edge of Dark and it's by Brenda Cooper, who I've never heard of either. And I mean, I'm not, I think she's like an indie sci-fi writer, potentially. I don't know that much about her. Um, so I don't know if she's very well known, but I've been reading through it and it's got like, it's got, it's got space. It's like a space opera. So it's very dramatically spacey with like space stations and, um, uh, what's the word? Colonized planets. And like earth is a myth kind of thing. It's very far in the future. And the main thing that's gotten me into it is that like straight off the bat, it's got like polyamorous relationships with like queer characters in it. And I'm I'm really into that in my science fiction, and I didn't expect that in this book. And so I've kind of been reading it for that largely, even though the world building is really interesting um, with the robots and the artificial intelligence and how the humanity has kind of built itself up to this point. Um, but you, mostly I'm liking it for the characters. <laughs> can you it's repeat very, the name of that one? Um, it's Edge of Dark. It's cool. book number one in the Glittering Edge series. I don't know if it's a trilogy or not. I haven't looked up the rest of them because I'm worried I will come across spoilers by accident or something. It's not her first book in the universe. She's written a couple other books. I think one was called like The Creative Fire or something. And I'm going to check out the other things because it's, it's very interesting world building. And she's kind of got a good sense of characterization that she fits in with the world building so each character is very different and you can kind of get a sense of who they are just through their looks and it's not like the best written book because it seems like an editor missed a lot of typos and formatting issues so like you'll come across sentences that don't entirely make sense because they're missing a word or something but I'm enjoying it enough that those things aren't really bothering me too much which is nice it's kind of nice to be reading a book that I enjoy so much that it doesn't matter if it's not too polished that's interesting i uh that's funny because i actually had a really similar situation recently it's something i'm not i've finished reading have you finished that one um no not yet i'm about like four-fifths of the way through maybe okay i uh probably a couple weeks ago i was reading one called archivist wasp by nicole corner stace which is i have like almost the exact same story about it which is that i was just in the library knew i had too many books wanted more books and wandered into the <laughs> young adult section i don't remember what if i was after anything in particular i'm like always looking for whether there are more like books about dragons or something whatever topic i'm into at the moment and um I saw this thing on the shelf of just, I don't, again, I don't even know if they were new. They were just sort of generic. Um, this one came out in April, a book called Archivist Wasp with a really cool, like, bright red cover. And I looked at it, and the summary was basically a post-apocalyptic ghost hunter finds the ghost of a super soldier. And I was like, this is perfect. This is the book for me. And... <laughs> <laughs> And it, it looked like it was um, sort of a small press thing. I don't... Let me pull up who actually published it real quick. Big Mouth House. Um, I don't know if they're a subsidiary of someone else, but I was um, 
not sure sort of where this book came from. And again, same thing, the author has written other things, but they were all sort of under the radar. This one was up for a couple major, uh, major awards, but it was so good. It was written really well. Um, I love the like sad super soldiers trying to come to terms with the fact that they are sad super soldiers thing. And it was that plus a really gritty, uh, really sort of take no prisoners teenage protagonist and um i i definitely recommend that one that sounds really cool i'm gonna be honest i i love that kind of thing as well like very it's not really typical storytelling that you'd expect like it's not a story that you would find in like mainstream fiction maybe but it's still just really cool it's it's not or it's like if you took two mainstream stories and smashed them together in the best possible way yeah, basically. It it does. It, the one thing maybe about that book is it doesn't always explain how its world got to be the way it did, but it doesn't really matter because its world is built well enough that you're you're going along with it, and the feel of it, and sort of the poetry of it, is what is really memorable. I I sometimes like it more when they don't explain how they get to that situation. I don't know why. I just like post-apocalyptic things that don't tell you how the apocalypse happened. Huh, I guess it depends for me. If the book, it depends on what the book wants to do. If it's setting out to be an ecological sci-fi story where, like, there are researchers who are, their whole goal is to find out what happened to the planet, then I want a satisfying ending. But if it's sort of more vague, poetic post-apocalypse, and it's obviously intended to be that, that's fine, too. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right about if the story is leading that way, then you kind of want it. That's very true. Sometimes I don't think about that. I do tend to like a lack of closure in my books, though, so I do kind of have a problem with that. <laughs> That's interesting. Now, so by that, do you mean you like a lack of closure that feels like closure in a in a poetic sense, or more that you prefer to have a lot of questions unanswered? A bit of both. Like, generally, things feel like they just are poetic closure for me, and I have questions left, but I'm okay with them not being answered. But then other people will read the same thing, and then they'll have massive problems with it not having enough closure. And so I think I just like having a lot of questions after a book is finished. Like, I don't like them telling me too much, because then I don't think about it afterwards, you know? Yeah. I'm trying to think of a book that has a really almost cliffhanger ending because I think I totally agree with you it depends on what sort of what it's trying to do and I'm trying to think of a book that has a really killer ending and I can't right now but I'll yeah, think about it <laughs> actually um chaos walking the chaos walking trilogy which is my favorite trilogy ever it's a young adult trilogy by Patrick Ness um it's a science fiction thing as well and that has quite a cliffhanger ending and I, I love it so much for that ending. It sticks with me still, even years after I've read it. It's very good. Cool, cool. So the, I mean, the other one that I'm reading right now is um, Children of God by Mary Russell, which is a sequel to The Sparrow, which is um, the most, perhaps most underappreciated science fiction book I've read recently. It's, uh, it's about a, a Jesuit mission to a another planet where there's a, a race of sentient predators and sentient prey and it is the most it's it's uh 
super thoughtful, um, super carefully paced with sort of aliens that are developed so subtly that you don't know. It slowly dawns on you how alien they are. And um, really good tragedy. It's I, I like stories where you kind of know everything's going to go bad at the end and the whole story is let's see exactly how that happened. It's one of those and it tells you that at the beginning. Um, but more people should read it and be sad with me. I think I'm going to have to pick that one up. That sounds really good. I love science fiction like that so much. It's uh, it's dark. It covers some intense topics, but it's really good. And uh, actually, somebody on Tumblr was live blogging it. And I was like, what is this book that I've never, never heard of that you're having such feelings about? And then I had feelings about it also. Okay, I'm definitely going to check that one out. I have a pile of, like, five books. But those are the ones that I wanted to be sure to talk about. Yeah. Seem like good books. Next week, I will have more exciting books, maybe. <laughs> I'll probably still be reading this one. I'm such a slow reader. I don't think we'll run out of books. I'm, I'm doing a reading challenge this year. I'm trying to read 100 books. And it's going good so far. We'll see how it goes. But it means that, like... I always have books to talk about, which is nice. And people are like, you're, you're always reading. I'm like, I have to. It's been mandated. <laughs> I can't stop. Help me. <laughs> yeah, it's like the red shoes. I just have to keep dancing. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of what we've been doing this week, what have we been playing this week? Oh, not enough. So I realize that now that I'm doing this, I need to try and play more games more consistently because I've been going through Fallout 4 very, very slowly. Um, I'm on Nick Valentine's quest in Fallout 4 and am just being slaughtered. So trying to get through that, I like the world a lot. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with Fallout, but I'm I'm going to do it, I swear. And then than me. I haven't even picked up that game yet. <laughs> Where do you are you interested or have you are you not really interested in that world? Yeah, I'm I'm keen. Like I had trouble with Skyrim because they're such big open world games and I get I need a linear story sometimes or else I just get distracted. But everybody else seems to be loving it so much. It looks gorgeous. It's just a it's a very expensive game and I'm very busy and I know if I buy it I'll just disappear into the world for like a month and not come out. Yeah, it's very hard. I almost feel like I'm not personally suited for those games that are so huge because you do like the best way to play them is to sink like four hours into it at a time and I just don't really have the time um but I I do like them to me the perfect balance is like a Bioware game where you have some story and you're mostly progressing through missions but you also can wander around a little bit so the truly open world stuff is just not not quite my cup of tea, but I'm, I'm trying. The other thing, <laughs> my sad gaming story this week is that I attempted to play Firewatch on my old computer and I got through like what is essentially the prologue and then my five-year-old computer realized what I was doing and said, this is a new game. What are you doing? And stopped. So... Oh, I, I think I have to, I'm probably going to watch Firewatch because I'm really, I really liked what I played. I'm really curious about the ending. Really love the art style. I just can't get it to run because it's not a gaming computer. It, it was a bit of a gamble to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm kind of glad Firewatch worked on my computer because it's 
five years old this year, so it's getting there. It was a gaming computer, so it was built to be one, but it's still, it's slowing down slowly. But Firewatch worked for me, which is actually the game I'm going to talk about because it's the latest game I've played, and I love it so much. Like, the ending of Firewatch has a lot of people, it's kind of split the fandom, whatever fandom there is of this fandom, but the people who play it, it's kind of, they kind of split between loving the ending and hating the ending because if it depends on how you view the game when you played it like there's a certain like the game is about the character's relationship and the characters themselves as they go through the summer um rather than the mystery of the game like the mystery of the game provides a good setting story-wise for the characters but the game is more about the characters and if you go into the game for the mystery more than anything else the ending can be somewhat um lacking basically but it's also it has kind of a certain lack of closure in some places as well which i like obviously because i'm just weird like that and so i loved firewatch like i played through it in four hours because it is a very short game and it is gorgeous it has amazing music the dialogue is so well written the opening is amazing and i love the feature because you get a disposable camera part way through and it only has like 24 shots on it i think maybe less and once you run out of shots, you're completely out of shots. So instead of just being able to take like photos whenever you want of the gorgeous landscapes, you have to look at something and then you're like, do I actually want to take a photo of this or do I want to save my photo for something else? Is it that important? So you've got to think about um, whether or not you actually want to do that, which is kind of a weird thing for me to love so much, but I do a lot of film photography in real life. So to have that also transport into a game when I just want to take a million photos is very difficult for me because it's bringing in my real life fears basically and I know I could just take screenshots like a whole lot of screenshots but that's less fun I want to take them with the camera because it has the little viewfinder and everything and it's very cute and I accidentally took two photos of one thing at some point I had to pause the game because I was just like no what have I done I've ruined everything (laughs) oh no (laughs) (laughs) it's like the most distressing part of the game okay I heard I heard that the photos come in at the end and like you can see them during the credits yeah it's really cute um and you can also get them sent to you via email. I think get them printed as well, which is a really cool feature. I really like that because I love photography, so I, of course, would love that. But I just want to play the game again because you can play the game without ever talking to Delilah, basically. You can ignore like everything she says except for certain scripted events where you have to talk to her, which I really want to do because I was reading somebody's write-up of it and it, it changes the game's mood quite a bit and like the way the game is played somewhat. Um because basically she's talking to you and trying to build a relationship with you and you're just ignoring her completely. You're just saying nothing, completely ghosting her out. And it sounds so depressing and I want to play it so bad. Oh, man, that's really interesting. That's, um, yeah. you know, part of what drew it to me was all the, the great reviews and people saying that the, the characters are, are really good. And I wonder, um, I want to watch a Let's Play, but I also have held off partially because I have hope for my computer and partially because uh, I know that the players will make choices and I want to be able to see what the options for the choices are because I know they, it's interesting we've been talking about sort of poetic um, satisfaction, I guess, versus narrative satisfaction. Like it sounds like some of the choices are more emotionally satisfying and others are more plot satisfying. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And I think you're right. 
And it's kind of a problem with games that have choices is if you can't play them yourself, it sucks watching somebody else do it because you want to see the other options <laughs> and you've got to go find somebody else who will choose that option. And it's very frustrating. And I would, if you can play the game, I would definitely recommend it. Yeah, I think I'm going to hold off watching it until I've tried some more things. But it looks really good. The introduction was, I mean, so many people, like reviewers, compare it to the opening of Up because it's Pixar style and because it will make you cry. And it yeah. did not make me cry, but it was very affecting. It would have made me cry if I could, like, cry at the moment. My eyes are still recovering from LASIK, so I, I can't actually cry properly. But oh. if I could have, I would have cried because <laughs> I got very emotional. And it's very much so, uh, an example of how to write a good Twine game. Um, Twine is the interactive fiction software, so you basically can use words to make a game. So you just write, and you can program the words to different things. And I've written a Twine game before, but it's a very good example of how to make choices through a Twine game and also write to give feelings and still be short and concise, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Now, you have a lot more experience with Twine and with indie games than I do. I've played some text games. Um, I was in Fallen London very briefly, which is, I know, a slightly different subset of things. Um, can you talk about sort of what are you making now and what do you look for in a in a Twine game? Yeah, um, I wrote a Twine game mid last year called Bloom, which was about uh, chronic illness and it, it's quite a downer game, and it's built with a purposely frustrating me mechanic of invisible hit points, basically. And they're randomized every day, so you don't know how many you have, which is meant to represent how having a chronic illness feels. And so I did that, and I think I it's a bit too big, a bit too unwieldy, and so Firewatch was very much showing how to do that kind of like emotional build-up and emotional breakdown very quickly which was really good. Um, and so I'm involved with indie game stuff in New Zealand because I am on the board of the International Game Developers Association New Zealand chapter, which is an association which is trying to help foster community and development with the, within the indie dev community. Um, I'm, I also submitted Bloom to the Play-by-Play -play Festival, which is New Zealand's first international games festival, which is happening in April in Wellington. So if you are in New Zealand and you're listening to this, you should go you should go to that and check it out because it's going to be awesome it's a week of interactive exhibits and it's got a showcase on saturday and a conference on saturday and also the awards night on saturday um which is cool and at the moment i am planning out a new twine game which is going to be about breaking down the manic pixie dream girl uh trope with a time traveler girl basically i don't entirely know what i'm doing yet but i have a slight plan <laughs> That is very cool. It sounds like you were doing many interesting things. I hope so. <laughs> but also, speaking of um, indie dev, there is a indie dev <coughs> team in New Zealand called It's Fine, um, and they just released their first game, Split, which is a really gorgeous puzzle game where you have control of a cube in this world, and you've got to break apart the cube and try and get all the pieces through a door. So you break apart the cube to use different buttons and different parts of the world and then you've got to get all of them back through the door and see how much you can actually get back and you can on every level you can get 100% of the cube through the door but it's very hard to do that in some levels like I've played it I've played it from like 
an old version, a very old version, to basically its release version on Early Access. It just got released on Steam, so if you want it, it's quite cheap, and it's gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. That team did such good work. Um, but I've played it quite a bit, and I'm, I'm still really bad at it because I am awful at puzzle games. But it is really fun, and as soon as I have the money, I'm going to buy it because it's it's great fun, and I want to solve all of the puzzles and prove that I can do it. So is it a three-dimensional geometric puzzle? Yeah, it, yeah. Okay, interesting. It's got, like, little little worlds that you go through, and so one of them's, like, an ice world, and there's, like, moving platforms that you've got to, like, get across, and there's different buttons you push to build bridges, but sometimes if you stand off of a button, like, the bridge will collapse, and you've got to do it again, and that's why you've got to split up to try and get the different parts of the world all together so you can get everything out, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think so. I definitely have to take a look at it, but that's that's interesting. Um, my other gaming thing right now is that I'm not playing Destiny and just staring longingly at Destiny going, when is our next expansion? <laughs> Isn't it like a really big expansion coming next? There's supposed to be a um, sort of, I guess, regular size one, whatever that means, a story expansion that'll be... I don't know, 14 hours of story or something. Um, and then Destiny 2 is actually officially going to be a thing. I think, I could be wrong on this, I think early 2017. So there'll be a big expansion and then Destiny 2. And I've been rooting for Destiny. Its story is, its story is trying right now. Um <laughs> <laughs> and like I love its story but it almost self-sabotages in so many ways because like a lot of the lore is on cards that you can only get in a browser even if you if you play on a console you have to like open up an app or open up a browser to get them and just little things really bury the story but it's a really fun world. Um, I did a, an article for Den of Geek a little while ago about what Destiny 2 could do to sort of strengthen its story. And I'm, I'm rooting for them, but I'm also not really playing because there's no, nothing new to do. Yeah, I really wanted Destiny originally. I was so excited for it because I loved what Bungie did with Halo. But I never got a new console basically, so I just never got it. Um, I didn't want to get it for my 360 because I was like, that's lame. Why, why, why would I do that when I'm going to get a new console eventually? And then I just never got a new console. But like watching what's happened with the story over the time has been really interesting to me because originally it had a really strong story. Like the team, there was a writing team behind it and they had a strong story. And then like the head writer got laid off or something and they got fired or they left. I can't remember what happened exactly. And this, the new person who came in just had to kind of piece together what was left and try and fix it. And so it's been kind of interesting seeing, like, with the new expansions and how that's happening. It's really interesting that they have the the lore things coming up in browsers or whatever because they were pushing really hard before the game came out for the whole multi-platform thing that you'd be, like, playing on your console, but you could also go to your phone and do something else. And so I think it was them trying to do that, but then it ends up sabotaging the story, which kind of sucks. But I guess it was an experiment they had to try. Yeah, and that's interesting. Maybe if there was a way to make it go the other way, it would feel a little more inclusive. Like if something you did with the cards on the browser affected your gameplay in a very sort of direct way, 
that might make it seem more seamless. Yeah, yeah, I think that definitely would have helped a lot more to actually have it affect each other rather than just going somewhere else to look at it. Yeah, and I think there was a lot behind the scenes. They they had to scrap a lot, and I'm hoping that what they're doing now is not so much rebuilding what was scrapped, but finding their feet with something new and something that can support whatever they're going to do going forward. Yeah, that's definitely what they need to do. And I'm definitely keen to pick up Destiny when I eventually get the right console because it sounds like so much fun and I just want to be part of it. (laughs) It is a lot of fun. And if you do, you're welcome to come. uh, If you're on Xbox One, you can come play with me and we can scream about the story. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So our last segment of sort of what we're going to be talking about each uh, each show is Star Wars, because I think for both of us, our main fandom is Star Wars. So there were, there's a couple news things this week. Um, the home release for The Force Awakens was announced to be April 1st for digital and April 5th in um, disc. And that's in the U.S. Is that different where you are, Saf? I think it's about the same it's hard to tell because they never really do like official release dates for new zealand or whatever they generally come out around the same time and i'm kind of excited because it's right around my birthday so maybe i can actually get the blu-ray out from somebody else instead of having to pay for it myself nice nice do you um i know for us they they, for the u.s you know they have the retailer specials so i know i want i want the target one because it comes with 20 minutes of extra footage and I'm super excited for the behind-the-scenes stuff, both to get more information and just because it kind of, like, I want to see the, the shenanigans that the actors got into, and I'm, I'm ready for the light-hearted documentary stuff. I'm so excited for the documentary. Oh, my God. I love that stuff so much. Yeah. Did you, um... Oh, what was the name of the one? It was right on the tip of my tongue, and then it disappeared, and I love it. It was called... Uh, the Empire of Dreams, there we go, was a great documentary about the original trilogy, and it's still one of my favorite Star Wars things ever, because it's just super informative and super warm as well, and that's my dream for TFA, that we get basically the Empire of Dreams version for the sequels. That would be amazing, honestly. I really hope we get something like that, because I... Imagine there's so much cool stuff behind the scenes for this movie. Like, the team worked so hard. You can tell. The team did amazing work for it. And I just want to see everything. And I want to see John and Daisy behind the scenes because they're just adorable. I know. <laughs> they, I, I would, I, I would just watch them doing whatever. Like, they can be getting their coffee. I don't care. Um, yeah. I did notice that they're having a segment about the table read on the discs. It's sort of how the actors felt when they first started and about that, how that sort of iconic table read went. And that was interesting to me because there was so much fan fervor around that picture of the table read um, when it first came out because it was the first confirmation we got of sort of what the, who the main core group was. Um, and while we're still asking a lot of the same questions that we were asking when that table read came out, it was also... You know, it was, it was a still image, it was technically the beginning of filming, but they surely developed those characters so much afterward. So I thought it was both sort of an odd thing to focus a documentary on, and a perfect thing, because they know the fans latched onto that super hard. 
Yeah, and I think it also has power because it is the first time that the actors all sat down to do that, to talk lines and talk characters and finally get a feel of what was going to happen, which is quite important for something like that, I I gather. I mean, I've done table reads before for plays, but it's never been like the first Star Wars movie in 30 years kind of thing. Like, that is yeah. pretty big. And I'm I'm keen to see what people are saying on that day, like what the different actors are saying and how they're feeling, because we have no clue, really. We know how John and Daisy felt when they got cast and all of that, but actually being there on the day, like actually seeing stuff from that day would be amazing. And I think you're right. What it is is the gateway to the sequel trilogy. It's the beginning of not only TFA, but everything that's going to come afterward. Yeah, yeah. So I have... um. I have a couple other Star Wars points here. I have, there's, uh, the next Marvel miniseries is going to be a Han Solo comic starting in June. And I have that um, StarWars.com's March Madness is starting in March, (laughs) Um, which is the, you know, um, sports style brackets. So I mostly care about one of those things and don't really care about the other one. <laughs> How do you feel about them, Saf? Do you want to talk about a particular one first? Which one do you care about? <laughs> I care about the Han Solo comic. Okay, yeah, we can talk about that first. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have been enjoying the comics lately. I think they are, they're kind of one, like one and, and done for me. They're, I read them and then they don't make a huge impact, but I nevertheless come out liking them. I really like Chewbacca. Um, I thought it was cute. And Han Solo is um, written by a female writer, which is interesting, Marjorie Liu. Um, And it's going to be about Han going sort of undercover at a starship race, working on something for the Rebellion. And the art looks good. The race story, I don't know why I'm not super excited about that. I think it's because I feel like it's been done. I feel like it's been done with Kessel Run. It was done in the EU with... uh, the Jedi Academy trilogy, which I adore and is ridiculous, had like rate like betting on races as part of the, one of the subplots. So I feel like it's kind of been done, as has this spot between A New Hope and The Empire Strikes Back, where it's set. But Han kind of has to exist there if it's the original trilogy. He he doesn't really have anywhere else to go. Yeah, I I think you're right there. <laughs> I don't I don't really know what to do with Han myself because I love the character because he's he's Han Solo, but also I don't really care about the character as a person that much. He's kind of like, you know when you have a group of friends and you love all the friends in your group, but you have that one friend that you just don't know how to talk to and like you wouldn't hang out with them one on one. Han Solo's kind of <laughs> like that for me. <laughs> I love that. Han's yeah, the but, guy you wouldn't hang out with one on one. Yeah, like because I don't know how to talk to him and I don't know what his interests are and maybe they won't line up with mine, basically. But I don't know because I didn't really care that much about Lan- Lando. Lando. Um, before the Lando comic came out, and then I read that, and I love Lando so much. I love Lobot. I didn't even know who Lobot was. I mean, like, I knew he existed, but I, you could have said his name, and I would have been like, I don't know, who was that? Because I'm, I'm a terrible Star Wars fan. I don't know who anyone is. Um, but the Lando comic was so well-written and so well-drawn that I just fell in love with Lando and all the other characters in it. And so I'm kind of hoping the same thing happens with this comic book. And the fact it's being written by a woman is really cool to me, because... 
you often see a lot of male writers writing female characters, but you don't often see the other way around. And I'm excited to see the diversity happening in the background of the things as well, like not just in the comics, but the people creating the comics too. So I'm keen to see where she will take the story. Yeah, definitely. And I think there is potential for other background characters, like Lobot was the standout character in uh, in the Lando series for me. Yeah, Lobot was amazing. Han, I think... I'm just sad about... Whenever I watch Empire Strikes Back now, Empire... Yeah, I'm going to be really sad. I know. It's just like, Lobot doesn't have to say anything to make to make people sad now. His, his existence is just a story by itself. Yeah. I mean, I am kind of... I'm enjoying the new EU for doing that kind of stuff, because, like, Lost Stars, now when the Death Star blows up, I get really emotional about the Death Star. And because of the Lando comic, I get really emotional about Lobot. So, I mean, I'm getting... Whenever I rewatch the movies now, I'm getting more from them because there's new things for me to think about, which is really cool. I'm really enjoying that. Yeah, yeah, because the EU, it's expanded. <laughs> Brilliant, <laughs> I know. <laughs> what an insight. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> I think Han, like Han never really charmed me the way I think he did a lot of people. He's still a little... A little dull for me especially in this time period when he's very mercenary but we'll see I'll, I'll check it out yeah I mean the comics have done pretty well so far so I'm, I'm keen to check anything new out yeah um, so are you gonna be are you watching March Madness I'll probably watch it and participate a bit I did last year it was kind of funny watching because it was like 4chan or reddit or something like went on this mission to make certain characters win and they were like using bots and stuff and it just got really crazy watching like random characters get the most amount of votes because of people trying to play the game like trying to uh change it i think it was a lot of there was a lot of people trying to push for the clone wars characters to get big votes as well it was really interesting watching it, and I sort of had no stake in it, except that I wanted Ahsoka to win, because I love Ahsoka so much. Um, and it was interesting seeing that. I'm curious to see this year how Rey will do, because obviously the new characters will be in it, and like people love Rey, but will she you know, beat out like Luke or whatever? We don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious too. I, I wanted the female characters to do well. I wanted to make, to be sure that female characters had a presence on on it but also sort of once the bracket was made I maybe because there were so many mitigating factors I felt like it's it's a popularity contest you know it is what it is and that's I think the extent of my thought about it this year I'll I'll play with it we'll see what happens yeah but speaking of March Madness um Danny on Twitter is doing a creature madness so it's for Star Wars creatures, basically, from the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy and the animated shows. And so if you want to check that out, um, visit his Twitter, which is Cerulean Snidget, some Harry Potter reference because he's such a nerd, um, and participate <laughs> in the bracket there because that's going to be super fun and I'm super keen for Lothcats to win because they're amazing. Yeah, that that did look like fun. I saw that he had a Google Doc with like the preliminary uh, creatures in it, how is the final voting going to be done? Um, I'm not entirely sure how it's working. I know that he has like brackets laid out at the moment, and basically, I think he's got a Google Doc with spreadsheets, and you just fill out the brackets yourself for who you think you'll win. And then I know he's starting voting 
soon. I don't know when it is. I'm really bad at knowing dates, but he will be starting voting um, with Twitter polls on his Twitter. Oh, okay. In a week or two. Cool, cool. Because I wasn't sure if people were supposed to write in their own stuff or what, but I'm I'm ready. I'm prepared for Twitter polls. I don't even know if Veractyls are on there, but I'll vote for Veractyls every time. So yeah, anything... I'm, I'm ready. Anything else about Star Wars that you particularly... <laughs> yeah, um, he's... he's... Zach, did I, I lose you? Anything. There we go. Okay. So we have our about 15 minutes left. Um, do we want to move into our main, like our big topic here? Yeah, I think so. So every week we're going to have sort of a, it probably won't always be a random topic as we go on. We might make them more or less topical based around the news. But basically this week, Saf and I and, uh, and Mike Templeton, right, keep talking about Halo on Twitter. And so I thought we're just going to talk about Halo because that's a good outlet for it. Um, we're going to talk about Halo 5, and there might be spoilers in this discussion, so they'll probably be vague-ish, but if you've not played Halo 5, you might want to bail out if you're still invested in how the game ends. Yeah, might be. Might be a safe plan. Yeah, so spoiler warning, and then spoiler warning, done. Um... First of all, let's just kind of talk about what we were we were kicking this around before the show. Um, Saf, you, we both liked and disliked different parts of the story. I liked how Cortana's role. I like where she ended. Whereas Saf, you felt more like you didn't like it so much and felt like it was a sort of a prelude to something else. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I'm Kane. Um, do you want to go first? I can. Um. I, so, when I played the campaign, I've played it once, and then I've gone through about two or three missions a second time, but, and I, I've not even dipped my toes into multiplayer, I'm really primarily a campaign person in the newer Halo games, um, I'll still go back and play CE, but I don't really play, uh, multiplayer in Halo 5, um, I, I liked the story, I liked the mayor, being an AI. I liked Locke and his very firm sense of what right and wrong. I liked Osiris and their banter, although I felt like scenes were missing. I felt like something was just cut out at some point in their their cutscenes. Um, I liked Chief. I liked Cortana. I thought that she had sort of an ignomious death in Halo 4 and went to come back as a super powerful giant robot controlling sort of power hungry character is a very big departure from what she was and I absolutely understand if people who loved her are that's not what they loved but for me it was a character going from a position of having very little power being being rampant being sort of stuck in chief's head and to giving her more power and that made her a lot more interesting to me so at the end i was hyped i was all about it and then i had no great desire to play that game again and i think partially it's because i didn't get 
quite as attached to the characters as I wanted to. So, generally positive review, but also a little bit fizzled out. Yeah, I think a problem with that, like, if I had, I had to uh, watch basically all of the cutscenes and everything on YouTube because I didn't have an Xbox One yet and I wasn't willing to pay for one because I was traveling a lot when it came out. Um, so I basically watched it all on YouTube and didn't play it through myself, which probably didn't help me get into it as much as I could have. But I feel like Halo 4 was a very concise game, somewhat. Like, it had a very pointed story. Like, it was like, you you need to do this, you need to save Cortana, you need to stop the didact and save Earth, basically. And then this one had a much larger branching kind of story. It wasn't really branching, but it had because it had the two different teams. It had Blue Team and Osiris Team. And so it had a much larger reach than Halo 4 did, which I think kind of took me out of it a little bit as well because it kept swapping between the two teams. And I like it when you're just playing as Chief. I love Chief so much. I know. And I I, I love Chief so much as well. We have that in common. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that that's interesting because you did get to sort of range around a little bit more in this game. But I, I think I felt that that was a good a good thing because it allowed for more set pieces what i would have what i think might have grounded it a little more is a better sense of the characters and they they made some changes with there was a lot of dialogue between the team members there were those sections i think there were only two or three of them in between missions that were almost like something you'd find in an open world game where you could walk around and you weren't in combat, you were just like listening to conversations or reading terminals or something. And they sort of tried to make the world a little bigger, but um, there was always something a little bit missing. And I think, so Halo Reach is my favorite Halo game because you really get to know each of the supporting characters. And you might not know like, they're fully fleshed out backgrounds, but they they are very distinct people. And I didn't quite get a sense of what all the members of Osiris, or even possibly more so the members of Blue Team, sort of thought about their situation. And that's what I wanted from this game, was more digging into who they were. And I didn't really think it had that. I'm kind of sad about the lack of digging into Blue Team, because... There's such a big part of Halo lore. Like, they've always, they've been Chief's team and they've kind of been ghosts hanging over his shoulder until this point when they're finally reunited. And you still don't really get much of them, which is kind of frustrating because I want so much of them. Like, I would have preferred a game that was entirely about one of the teams if it had gone more into each of the characters somewhat. Like, it didn't have to go into their backstory or anything, but um, having them become more obvious distinct characters maybe somehow in the same way reach did i can't even remember entirely how reach did it but reach did it really well and i love reach a lot it's not my favorite halo game but i do love it i think it was one of the first ones i played through all the way um and i can still remember like each of the characters and their distinct personalities and how they would react to different things and that i love them all so much i love george he was my favorite he was the best (laughs) rest in peace george oh yeah i still i still get sad about that sometimes that whole game is so sad, but it's, I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what's great about it. Yeah, it's a really good game, and I don't know, I think Halo 5 is potentially the weakest of all Halo games so far, <laughs> maybe, like, I mean, of the main the main story games, not like Halo Wars or something, because they don't really count for that. Um, I, I don't know, I have so, such mixed feelings on Halo 5, because they kind of balance on whether or not 
Halo 6, what Halo 6 does, because I think that Halo 5 could be leading up to like a really good plot twist thing with Cortana, because it's, my problem with Cortana is I really like what they're doing with her becoming like a forerunner, forerunner? Is that the right one? Um, she's, she's sort of controlling forerunner yeah, assets, yeah. There's like hints that she's being manipulated by the warden or somebody else like higher up than her like it seems to be something kind of like with the grave mind and i'm i'm still not really liking that the hints at that that she doesn't completely have control over what she's doing and the whole thing of her being like we must kill all these people to like save whatever and she it seems very different a very big character change from what she used to be where like everybody was so special and she kind of Oh, she didn't really think everybody was special, but Chief kind of taught her to trust in different humans and that people meant a lot. And then she's kind of turned into this somewhat heartless character. Not entirely, but she's gone very Halsey-like in that the greater good is more important than the individual, which I love Halsey for so much. I adore Halsey. And it's really interesting seeing Cortana kind of step more into her role, whereas Halsey seems to be kind of going backwards a little bit, where she's realizing that she's made a lot of mistakes and that she's been an awful person um, and that a lot of these problems are her fault, kind of. It is, and man, would I love to see her solve those problems. Like, I, the Halo universe treats Halsey in very different ways, depending on how, you know, what part of the universe you're, you're talking about or who's writing her. So I'm really curious to see how she's treated as the games go on. Um, you said that you have trouble, or, or that um, Halo 5 isn't your favorite Halo game, and I have trouble picking a favorite Halo game out of the main the main series because I very much think of them as two trilogies. And that's partially because I didn't play two for like the longest time. I think I didn't own it. I owned one and three and then eventually went back and played two. So part of it was just my <laughs> own fault of like I would get them mixed up because I hadn't played them in order. But it is also because they're very specifically marketed as two trilogies. There's like the, the C stuff. There's the actually based around halo rings stuff and then there's the forerunner stuff and you know with some smudging in between that's also the bungee stuff and the 343 stuff so i i do think that you're right that we have to sort of wait to see what this next trilogy brings um did you say that you'd prefer cortana not being controlled by someone else or prefer if she was uh sort of under the influence of someone else um i would if she's being completely controlled, it feels too much like the grave mind thing again, which I'm kind of iffy about. But also, if it's complete, if it is completely her, I want to see the character decisions behind that as well. Like, I will find it really interesting if this is completely her decision and she's just doing this of her own accord. Like, she thinks this will honestly help. And seeing how Chief and her kind of reconcile that, because I feel like they're going to need to, definitely. And if she's being manipulated, like, it's her choice, but somebody else is kind of, like, giving her information that's wrong or something... That could be interesting, too, and seeing how she reacts to that. And it's kind of all a really big agency thing. Like, I want to see what they're going to do with her agency in 6. And this could all be her, like, leading up to doing a massive turnaround and completely not actually doing what she's saying, and she's doing something else. And it's just leading up to looking like she is. But I don't know. I honestly don't know what they're going to do with the character. And I feel like 6 could either make or break my feelings on how they're treating her. So I'm kind of holding off on judging it too much at the moment because I feel like it could go really well. Six could do an amazing thing and I will love Halo 5. Like, I'll retroactively love Halo 5 so much, which is so frustrating to have to wait for something else to happen 
to love something that you want to love. Um, but my other problem is that Master Chief seems... I don't like his characterization so much in this as well. Like, he's kind of gone back to... He learned... Basically, him and Cortana grew a lot in Halo 4, and they learned a lot about each other and about themselves, and Chief kind of got more human as Cortana kind of went more and more rampant and he had to deal with that and that was really interesting and I was kind of hoping we would deal with Chief's humanity a bit more in 5 because a lot of the stuff leading up to 4 was about Chief Chief's humanity and his lack of humanity somewhat like how he was more of a robot than a man because he was manufactured basically and so I was kind of hoping 5 would go more into that and especially with Cortana and having to deal with Cortana potentially being a villain but it didn't really quite do that enough for me which I guess it's fair because Halo's not really it's it is a character driven game with Master Chief, but it's never really been so much into like the emotional like these characters have feelings about things and they have to deal with them because it's it's a first person shooter and it's a sci fi. Like it I understand why. It just still makes me sad. And at the same time in the marketing and stuff, they said what they're trying to do is to dig into Chief's character. So you may not be digging into it in the way you would in a in a literary novel, but they're gonna dig into it in some way and um the part that really struck me about chief's character in halo 5 was how sort of willingly he followed cortana um there were points where she was calling for him to when i mean she's leading him into a trap at the end she's calling for him to come to her and chief just will not answer blue team will not hear no for an answer he just desperately follows her and that was surprising but also I thought it was an illustration of how like he can be human he can be driven by emotions yeah that was Mm -hmm. really heartbreaking honestly (laughs) yeah that was that was painful stuff and that was painful too because you as the player were kind of involved in that more than you're usually involved in emotion in Halo like you were moving forward because that's what the plot wanted you to do but you were also moving forward because Chief had this very almost like a rope around his neck, like really uh, emotional thing that was pulling him along. Yeah, I really want to know what they're going to do with Chief and Cortana in the next one. Especially now that she's like human-sized and like human-ish. Like she's humanoid, kind of robotic, but whatever. And like it's... I, I don't know, I just want him to hug and just be happy, but I know that that's not where the plot is going to go, and I'm slightly distressed by that. And <laughs> it's it's kind of weird seeing Chief, like, act the way he did in 5. He was very driven by needing Cortana, like, he totally lost sight of everything else. Which, yeah, almost obsessive. Yeah, it was really interesting, because he hasn't really been that kind of character, for people at least. Like, he has his mission, he'll do that, but then he kind of dropped everything, like, he went AWOL and like yeah even then like he kind of ignored his team who were his childhood friends and like people that he's loved so much his entire life and it's so interesting seeing that Cortana can do that like she affected him so much and she's so ingrained in his mind and he's just compelled to go to her because he feels like he has to help her and I guess he misses her as well oh my god I'm getting so emotional about this (laughs) you know the more I talk about it the more I'm having feelings about it he wants to help her and she doesn't need help really he's kind of falls into the secondary role somewhat she's the one doing all of these things and he's the one that needs her whereas normally it would be kind of the other way around like the female character would be you know running to like they they're the useless one who wants to help the the male character with whatever they're doing and they have no choice with everything whereas she has 
she has the power in that kind of relationship. Like she's the one that traps him and controls him basically and he has she, no power. Yeah, she uh she builds things and she controls things and she when she appears to uh to Lasky at the end and Lasky's like why and Cortana's basically like just try to stop me and flies off. It's like that it it comes down to the agency thing too. I think I felt like she had so much agency in that moment even if it was agency to do terrible things that she should really not be doing yeah i still just remember like that one the one clip where you can see her like get her tear up and then kind of push it down again yeah and she looks Uh, so much like halsey in that moment as well she does i i love halsey so much um (laughs) and i love cortana's sweet new hard light armor which is like it's not a subtle metaphor but it's that she's not the open, caring one anymore. Yeah, Chief that, has kind of become that character. Or he's kind of becoming that character in a way. Yeah, and that meant a lot, I think. Yeah, I think six six can bring some amazing things. I don't dislike five, but it just doesn't feel as strong to me as it could. But I feel like six could easily be my favorite game if they do things right. Because they're doing very interesting things with character reversals and character relationships. And also just the lore of the universe in general because i love the forerunner stuff that is my favorite thing about halo love it so much yeah the it's the more we talk about the end of halo 5 the more i'm like yeah i love all this reversal stuff and like i'm all about this but it does sort of remain to be seen whether they what direction they go with it which i feel like i'm saying that over and over. But yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, so speaking of Halo lore, um, I think our last thing is going to be a bit of a news thing. Um, the Fall of Reach animated series dropped on Netflix today. And I was so happy to see it. Saf tweeted about it. And then we were like, how long has this been on Netflix? Like, did we miss it? Turns out it dropped today. Yeah, we were we were on point <laughs> with that timing for this. Yes, nice unintentional on point yep (laughs) (laughs) so um it was originally packaged with either the legendary edition or the what's the name of the other one it's not the exclusive edition it's the the second tier edition of halo 5 um so you could get it on the disc you could also get it on dvd blu-ray but now it is streaming and it is an hour of Basically, uh, an animated version of the Fall of Reach novel, uh, to my knowledge. I haven't watched it yet, but that's what I'm going to do after this. Yep, me Um, too. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, we're excited about that. I don't know if it'll have any connection to the game. There's all sorts of chronological mess when you try to put Fall of Reach, the novel, and Reach, the game, in the same space. I honestly wonder what they're doing, like, what the canon status is of the Reach game compared to the Fall of Reach novel. Especially now that they're doing an animated series of Fall of Reach. Does that make it more canon? I don't know. They don't have, like, a Pablo Hidalgo you can ask these questions to. Oh, (laughs) no. Help us, Pablo. (laughs) I think that's what we're going to find out when we watch this. We'll see if there's any reference at all. Because they tried to sort of smudge some things with, like, oh, it was a a fragment of Cortana and Blue Team was at this place at this time. But especially if you read Halsey's journal, you really have to jump through hoops to get the game and the rest of the canon to match. So I just kind of, like, I just kind of forgive them and set that aside (laughs) yeah 
I'm really like, keen to watch Fall of Reach because I loved, I forgot, Ford Under Dawn. I loved Ford Under Dawn so much. And then I was really excited about Nightfall, which was the one about Locke, which they released last year. Um, and it just wasn't that good. It wasn't amazing. And so I was kind of like sad because Halo miniseries have been sort of my favorite thing since Fallout and Dawn, basically, even though like they don't happen that often, they're still very exciting to me. And so to have this to watch and like binge for like an hour is just super exciting. Yeah, yeah. I think I decided that I like uh, um, Forward Unto Dawn better than Nightfall, but I really appreciate the Nightfall like little episodes in between the main story. I thought that it would be annoying to have to like press a button and go to a completely different episode, but they were. They were cool. I thought they were really well written, the little things. And I liked I liked um Spartan Randall. But I liked little oh, things. Randall was so cool. Yeah, he was really cool. Um Locke himself was really cool, but the the plot was not quite as solid as uh Forward into Dawn's plot had been. Yeah, definitely. Forward into Dawn kind of it sticks with me. It's very well written and the characters are done well and the pace is done well as well, I think. And I didn't I didn't know what re- relevance it would have to Halo 4 at all. I was just like, this is just cool, whatever it is. It's got Master Chief, I like it. Um, and then Lasky was in Halo 4 as a main character, and now he's a main character of 5 as well. Like He's a he's an important character in the lore. Kind of like Key, Key was... Was it Keys? Or Keys, Key? yep. Yeah, Keys. Keys. He's kind of like the new Keys, somewhat. Um, and so I was kind of keen for Nightfall because I love Locke. Even though I loved him before I even knew anything about him. I was just like, he looks cool. He sounds cool. I like him. Um, but yeah, Nightfall had good characters and a really cool concept, but the writing just wasn't as strong. Even though I loved um, the Let Golo thing. Mm-hmm. That was really cool. Ah, see, I, I wanted to love Locke too, and I do. Like, I think he looks really cool. I think he has cool like individual lines, but he never quite cohered for me. I think some of the things, like some of the things he said in Nightfall, con- seemed to contradict how he sort of acted toward people in Halo Five, and that confused me. Yeah, I'd agree but with that. I uh, the let go were cool. I was a little, I rolled my eyes a little bit at some of them, but that was also just a very pretty movie. You could just sort of put it on in the background and admire it every once in a while. Yeah, it was very pretty. I did like it. So I think um, I think we're gonna wrap up. Do we? We're gonna go watch Fall of Reach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, do you have anything else you want to add, Seth? I do not think so. No. We could probably I could talk about Halo books forever, but we we yeah. have time. We'll be back probably in two weeks. The idea is for this to be a biweekly podcast. Yeah. So we have no social media or anything for this yet. But if you keep an eye on the Toshi Station Twitter or website, you will see more about us there. Um, we will have a Twitter account up soon, hopefully, and be tweeting away on that. Um, for now, you can also find us on our Twitters. I am Wanda Lustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. And Megan? I am blog full of words. Awesome. So, yeah, hopefully you'll see us again in two weeks. I mean, hear us again in two weeks, I guess. And I hope you liked our first episode. This was very cool. Um, thank you so much to Brian and Nancy from Tossy Station for giving us this platform to talk on because it's lots of fun. Yeah. Again, thank you so much to the network. Um, we're glad to have started uh, Western Reaches because everyone should remember to check the Western Reaches. Bye.